Welcome back to State of My Art Podcast, where I, Mike Liorti, chat with fellow creatives about their projects, journey, and message to give you some inspiration, ideas, and a little entertainment. Todd Palmer is my guest for episode 25. Todd is a life and business coach. He's also an incredible author. His new book, From Suck to Success, A Guide to Extraordinary Entrepreneurship, just came out today as I'm releasing this podcast. I was lucky enough to get an early read of the book and I was blown away. Couldn't put it down and it literally changed my life as I still think about its many lessons and stories throughout my day. We get into some of those stories stories, including how he turned his staffing company from being $600,000 in debt to making the Inc. 5000 six times. Since then, and pre-COVID, Todd pivoted and evolved into a business coach and speaker, speaking to thousands of entrepreneurs and companies from huge stages all over the world. And if you know my music, you might recognize his speaker reel track. All right, let's get into it, and then please go get Todd's new life-improving book, From Suck to Success, for only 99 cents today. This conversation with Todd Palmer happened on February 1st, 2021. And we are good to go. We're really doing it. Welcome to the show, Mr. Todd Palmer. How are you doing? Are you in Michigan today? I am in Michigan. We have got about five to eight inches of snow down here. We're, we're happy to have it. Wow. It's been uh, it's it's been an interesting uh, it's been an interesting ride since the last time I saw you, my friend. Right, yeah, a lot of a lot of big changes. You have recently written an amazing book, in my opinion. I don't. I know you probably don't have any expectations. You only have intentions, and your oh, intentions. Oh, so you did are, read the book. Look at that. Oh yeah. Nice We'll start right there. It's yeah. it's in my opinion, my expectations for it are that it's a it's a, a New York Times bestseller. It's on Oprah's book club, and it was an incredible read. And I was really inspired, motivated, proud of you. Uh, I I just I, it was a really enjoyable read. So thank you for making it. Well, you know what? Thank you for taking the time out of your life to read it. Um, I think is. As an author, probably similar to a musician, our intention is to get our, our craft out there, to get our art out there, our work out there, so that it impacts somebody. And I know this is, um, my gosh, it took me five years to write the book. And I remember when I was, I'm on the seventh or eighth revision that finally comes out. And I remember when I was talking with the people I was collaborating with, they said, who, who do you really, who do you want this book to appeal to? And I said, from my perspective, I, I want to, it was a book I wish I would have had when I got started. I mean, I started my company, Diversified Industrial Staffing, when I was 27 years old. And, you know, being an entrepreneur at that point, it, for a lot of us, meant you were unemployable. Nobody wanted to hire you. You were off trying to, to figure out how to create, you know, create your stake mm-hmm. in the world. And there was a lot of unknowns about how to grow and scale a business. And no one told me, and that's what I wanted to bring to the reader, is in order to grow yeah. your business, in order to grow whatever you want to do, you still have to go inside. You have to, it's inside out leadership. You have to take a look within to be able to create what you want in, in your exterior world. Yeah. And you've expressed that story so many times on other podcasts that I've checked out. Uh, and uh, obviously in this book, it pops up as an incredible example in all eight categories, all eight chapters of uh, what you're putting out there. And it's like, such a powerful uh, reminder and story, obviously, that like 
you know, fail forward. And, and, uh, I have so many notes and so many things that I want to try and squeeze into this one hour, but, uh, I'm not going to be surprised if there's some things left out and we'll, we'll leave it to the viewers to read it for themselves, which I first and foremost want to encourage everybody to do. It's going to be 99 cents. We're yes. releasing this podcast the day that it comes out and the day that it comes out, it's 99 cents yeah. after that day, it's going to be $10. So quick little plug for you there. Yeah, um, we're, and, we're doing the yeah we're doing the Amazon release on February 9th. So yeah, pick up the book ninety nine cents. Get it on your Kindle, and all I'd ask is if someone reads it and they get value out of it, that they give it a review, because um, it's it's part of creating a community of people who can get value from the book. And uh, you know, I know when when we've talked about your your musical exploits and and when you 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 write a song, you don't know who, how that song is going to land with an audience member, whether you know it's a, a more more senior rock fan like myself or maybe more more junior rock fan like some of the people who attend your shows and you just you, you put i put things out to the world you not knowing how it's going to land so if anybody in your audience wants to pick up the book for 99 cents today uh, on the 9th of february 2021 i would appreciate it and i think you'll get value from it and i guess if you don't email me at todd at extraordinary advisors.com and i'll pay back paypal you your dollar back how about that money back <laughs> guarantee can't beat that yeah, I don't think anybody is going to want their money back after reading this book. And you touched on something that I guess we can segue to and how we met is a community. And uh, I was playing my what is kind of intended for a junior audience music for more of a senior crowd at Gathering of the Titans, GOT. In 2015, I believe, was when I attended April 2015 at MIT. And that was uh, more of a life changing weekend than I imagined and a different way than I imagined. I expected, you know, to get all these opportunities from all these big CEOs and everything. <laughs> and and I, I did in a different way, but it was more of a, a huge learning weekend and the community that I was getting involved in and still involved am involved in with a lot of great friends like yourself i still feel extremely lucky to be a part of it and so basically i was invited by a girl i was seeing's dad scott invited me out and uh which like i i owe him so much to this day for that opportunity because uh i was basically the music provider for the friday night wine night basically where everybody got to like get on my gear and jam and I played my set and there was a lot of things going on that night like a lot of fun it was it was the wine tasting night so obviously everyone's in a party mood um but I remember you were like really into my show and sitting there like really like into my style of music which um I kind of became more accepting to playing to older audiences and bars after that and started oh, nice. seeing, okay. yeah, like that. I only realized it later that I was like, Hey, you know what? I know how to win a crowd of 40, 40 plus year olds over. No problem. Like, so ever since then, I'm, I've been more welcoming to playing the bar gigs and I've sold a lot more merch. I've talked about it on this podcast, playing those bars because I mean, 1999 was 21 years ago, oh, 22, 22 years ago. <laughs> like that's crazy to think. I, I mean, uh, I feel old at a lot of the shows I play, especially in the new band I'm in mainsail. Uh, some of the festivals we play. I mean, I, I feel 
like I, you know, maybe we can segue to the imposter syndrome now. Where, <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it's interesting because I, so as I was thinking about what I want to talk with you and your audience about today, um, the, you know, it's crazy. My mom popped into my head. Now, my mom's been gone for several years. But when I was in high school and in college, my mom listened to my music. So this is back in the days of, you know, 80s hair metal bands. And she loved David Lee Roth and Van Halen. And, you know, we know we just recently lost Eddie Van Halen. But my mom would, like, listen to that music with me. So when my son, who graduated from high school in 2009, was listening to Blink-182 and um, what else was he listening to? Good Charlotte. In, in some of those bands, I was listening to him because I wanted to be connected to him. I think a, a parent often wants to stay connected with their children because parents, mm-hmm. believe it or not, have imposter syndrome. You know, I'm not cool. My kids don't want me hanging around. I don't add any value to their lives anymore. You know, they're, I, I'm just a human ATM to my kids. Entrepreneurs <laughs> go through that. You know, we, we see ourselves, yeah, as, yeah. you know, do, do our employees really want to work here? They're only here for a job. They're not here for a career. They're not here for the opportunity. So when I connected with you back at the Gathering of Titans, you know, I really here's what the one thing I always remember about that performance because people were drinking and they were kind of distracted and doing their own thing at times, but you gave a full on performance to the audience you had, maybe not the audience you wanted. So you showed up and you went, you played all in and, and you stayed with us the entire week and you really practiced something I talked about in the book, which is being a lifelong learner. Like you wanted to learn, you wanted to know like, how do you make money and how do you grow and scale a business? And what, what else can I do with this, this, this passion I have around music? Is it publishing? Is it, managing a band? Is it being in a band? Is it being a solo? All these different questions you had for us. And you were, I mean, you were by far the youngest guy in the room by, I mean, by far the youngest guy in the room. And you, you fit in in such a way because you showed up and you're authentic. You're transparent. You're vulnerable, which is something I know I talk about in the book around being ATV, but you embodied so much of what it took to be a success. And, and the greatest thing about it is you didn't even know you were doing it because you were just being yourself. Yeah, I went into that weekend very excited. I mean, I am always excited to set up my show and play it because I worked so hard on creating it. And I knew that there was going to be some people there who were going to be long-term friends like yourself that I was going to make. I I didn't know if I was going to be, you know, uh, introduced to Taylor Swift by one of these guys, you know, that was, that was what I was going in there. And and that was even brought up that like, they showed my, my Taylor Swift video and said, we tried to get her here, but she wanted like a hundred grand. And I was like, geez, no, like, I can't even believe you guys went out of your way to try this for someone that you don't even, you've never even met yet. So that transparency from everyone there was just kind of pulling more out of me. And, um, I had a lot of great conversations with people about, you know, what I now learned is imposter syndrome. And, and they were very much like, no, dude, you are a rock star. Like you, you are already what you want to be and you need to realize that. And so it was like really life-changing in a lot of conversations I've had with people that I haven't even talked to since still stick with me and a lot of conversations that I've had with people that I didn't even talk to much that weekend, like yourself have, uh, carried over like the initially, um, one of the big mentorships that I got from you. And I have a lot of mentors from friends that I, you know, didn't even realize, um, until reading your book, I'm like, man, you know, I've learned so much from my vocal coach more than just singing. I've learned so much from Todd more than just 
you know, helping my sales out. But you taught me a lot about ROIs the first night that we hung out and, you know, margining the, uh, my (laughs) expenses. And I was already really cheap. I was already like really frugal on the road. And, uh, I have a lot of like, um, how to save money tips for bands and blogs like that. But after I met you, it was amplified because I was like, man, if I'm only making a hundred dollars a night at these shows, I have to make my, and I want to get my margins to be at least double what I'm, what I'm spending. I have to live off $50 a day, including gas. Like, all right, let's do this. And I managed to make that work. And before I knew it, I was building a bank account, especially when I went down to just being a one man act and I didn't have to support a whole band or, you know, well, that, and that just goes to show, you know, and I say this a lot to, to, on the, on the appearances I do. And when I'm speaking from stage, people will say, you know, now that I'm coaching, you know, I, I can't afford a coach or I can't afford to go to this, con- this, uh, this conference, or I can't, I mean, gathering a Titans, you pay for a year in advance. So they hold your money for 12 months. Now they're oh, holding wow. my money for 24 months because we can't, <laughs> which is yeah, fine. Yeah. I got my ROI on, on Titans is off the charts. I, I even gave them a, a, a shout out in the book. Cause it's been, that group's been so powerful in my life, but you for have sure. to invest in yourself. It's not an expense. It's an investment. So, you know, again, I remember watching you perform and I was really impressed that you could play all your instruments. So who do I think of? I think of, you know, it's like iconic artists like Paul McCartney who can play all of his intru- instruments. Prince could play all of his instruments. Sting can play many of his instruments. And so like that shows me that like, this guy really cares. And, and I think it's so easy to believe in an artist that cares. Well, but you care and then you continue to invest in yourself. And entrepreneurs have to do that. CEOs have to do that. You know, you, you're not going to... Um, be able to just roll out of bed one day and figure out how to make money. You're not going to just be able to figure out one day, you know, how to write a great song. I mean, like mm-hmm. I said, this is the eighth, this is the eighth version of the book. It took me five years to write. I didn't put out just the first thing I wrote. It, you know, I'm sure you've written and rewritten, you know, numerous songs to, to get it to just where you want to go. And the, and the crazy thing is, you know, as, as I, you know, approach the release of the book, it's dawned on me heavily that, I'm happy with the book. I'm proud of the book. I'm satisfied with the book. But the crazy thing about it is it'll never be done. And they'll, they'll, I'll read, you know, I'll read it in five years from now. And I'm like, oh, I would change this. I would modify that. Yeah. I'm sure you've read it like, oh, I, I like that song or I like those notes or I like that bridge or I like that, that, that chorus when I wrote it when I was you know 19. Well, now I'm not 19 and I would change and I would change that up. You have the ability, at least from stage, to make that, that pivot, but you can't make it from a, from a digital copy. You can, you know, you can adjust when you're in person. And, and that's the great thing about, you know, what you do to entertain people is, I could show up and watch you five nights in a row. It's going to be five different shows. It might even be the same set list, but they're going to be five different shows. So that's the beauty, you know, of, of meeting people in the moment. In that mm-hmm. moment, well, you know, we talk about it in the book. You, you know, I, I think I use golf as the analogy or baseball as the analogy, but it applies to music. You know, the, the, the thing I think we're missing most during COVID right now, for those of us who love music, is certainly new music coming at us is, is, is certainly missed because there's just a, a gap, but also the live performance. Uh, you know, sharing the in space with that performer, sharing that, watching them sweat, watching them give you their, their, their all. And, and that's yeah. just really that connection that that community created in the room when you perform, we're all missing that as well. Yeah. You, and you mentioned pivoting, which obviously you've done a lot of, and, and I will get into your pivoting and how you uh, got started, which I even have some questions for, but as for playing live music, that was my spark. Like I would go see local bands playing at the, you know, 
uh, local church DIY shows touring from out of town, Canadian bands. And I was like, wow, like this is where it begins. And then I would go see shows at the Air Canada Center where like the Raptors and Leafs play and uh, with my dad because, you know, he would get those tickets and I'd go see the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Coldplay and be like, I, okay, I, I see where it can go. Like live music is my thing. I want to master this. I want to create a show. And, you know, some, my biggest mentor, Steve Risen, who uh, is more of my mentor in like a sound audio engineering production um, part of my life, which is probably, uh, if I may say, I'm probably of all the things I'm good at, that's probably what I'm best at because of him. Um, so along the way, like that kind of became my, my vision and I've had to pivot a lot and night to night I'm pivoting because the kids aren't showing up to these DIY $5 all ages church shows anymore. So I need to figure out where I'm going to play. Oh, well it's, it's all bikers sitting at the bar not even looking at me. How am I going to get their attention now? So I, I was able to figure out how to pivot during live music and then boom, there's not even live music anymore. So uh, I always had this idea of um, starting a podcast because I've been watching so many podcasts and listening to so many podcasts, obviously, just like how I wanted to start playing live music. So uh, it's obviously kind of like a a spark from inspiration. You see others being able to do it and you think, hey, I can do that. So um, I wanted to ask if like, obviously you you mention a lot of other books and quote a lot of other books. Uh, so <laughs> reading this book made me want to read another 20 books that you <laughs> mentioned. But also I wanted to ask in your whole pivoting process, what we usually talk about on this podcast is how these artists that I have on got started. So uh, every time you bring up the story of how you were in diversified staffing and how you were basically in the staffing business, I always wonder, and I wonder this with my dad in construction and anybody doing anything that's not like a fun thing like music, in my opinion, yeah. uh, what what made you want to go into, what made you think the staffing business was desirable, I guess? Uh, great. No one's ever asked it that way before. So desirable is an interesting choice of words. Um, so I got into the staffing space because I became a single dad. I got custody of my son and I was just fresh out of university. I was getting my master's degree because my plan was to be a teacher and I was working part-time and I was teaching part-time and I was going to class full-time. Okay. And so I got custody of my son and I called my older brother up as we'll often seek out mentors and counsel. And my brother's uh, he's in the first chapter of the book, actually, Greg. And mm -hmm. he goes, why don't you give staffing a try? I think you'd be pretty good at it. That, that, that was literally the, the brilliant plan of getting into the staffing industry. Um, I wasn't very good at it in the beginning. And I just kept plugging away at it. And I, you know, I was really, I, you know, my imposter syndrome became very, very much a part of my daily routine because I'm doing a lot of sales, a lot of cold calling and getting told no a lot. So it's, it's like, it's like trying to date with every girl in the world is telling you, no, it just, it, it just it was for very demoralizing for me. And remember, I just got into divorce and trying to raise my son and lots of stuff going on. And then I re then I got fired. <laughs> I got fired. Gosh, three times, four times, something crazy like that. Cause I, I saw when you were working for a staffing company or some, yeah, for working for somebody else. Okay. And I remember I got fired by an entrepreneur and I was probably about 25 at the time. 
And I'm thinking, this guy's an idiot. I know more than he does. So again, uh, out of hubris. And mm-hmm. I um, remember sitting down and saying, I want to control my own destiny. Uh, I got hired someplace else. And I, I found a, a, a mentor in that company who really championed me. He's like, I believe in you. Uh, I, I like your work ethic. I think you need some polishing. I think you need to improve. And I think you have some raw, raw skills. So he was actually one of the first investors in Diversified. And um, I, got, I ultimately got into the staffing space and stayed in it for so long because I could do it. The crazy thing about it is I never really, really developed a massively deep passion for it. So fast forward, you know, we, we get to the point where the company is successful, which allows me other opportunities. One of the opportunities was to write my first book, The Job Search Process, How to Find a Job in Six Weeks or Less. And I started speaking mm-hmm. at all places, places you've probably been to. I spoke at high schools. And I remember telling a buddy of mine who was a professional speaker, he's like, that is the worst place you want to speak at. You didn't, they, they are mm-hmm. going to boo you off stage. They're going to, it's going to be misery. They're out of <laughs> their devices. They're, you know, it's, and it wasn't just a small high school. It was like 600 kids. Big speech. I think I bet four in the morning to do it to drive across Michigan to do that, get there, do, do the speech. I had such a good time and the kids were so engaged. And because I showed up, I had practiced, I, I had polished, I'd been doing recruiting for a thousand years. And this yeah. book was based on that. And I came out there and I, I delivered for them in the middle. So in the middle of the speech, the power goes out, my mic goes out. So there's no lights, no audio. And I got more excited. So it's like, you'd be like in your world, your, your, all your, your equipment dies out and you grab an acoustic guitar and you just keep going on. Oh yeah. I, I yeah. I did that. <laughs> He's like, my God, this guys are going to keep going. And the principal comes up, he comes on stage, literally hugs me afterward. I, I was fired up. So what I learned was for a long time, I'd been doing recruiting for that moment. For a long time, I'd suffered the slings and arrows of, of frustrations, imposter syndrome, the itty bitty shitty committee in my head Yeah, for that moment. Because that moment was a transformative moment for me. So, on the, so I'm driving back to Detroit two hours away. So I had a call with my coach. So I use a coach. And he, um, he's like, he, he can't get a word in edgeways because I'm just like on fire. Like, <laughs> and he's like, I want to stop you in this moment. And I want you to recognize that this is what you've been looking for. If it gives you energy, you're in your right spot. We don't know. Yeah. I, said, I have no idea how I'm going to monetize this. He's like, enjoy the moment because all I'm hearing about is, I can recruit doesn't mean I love it. I can help, you know, I'm helping people get jobs. I'm helping change lives. I'm helping improve families. I'm helping improve companies. And everybody's, from my perspective, kind of unappreciative. Uh, mm-hmm. Clients say I'm charging too much. Employees feel like I'm taking money out of their pocket because I'm getting paid a fee for doing something that I should just do out of the goodness of my heart. Um, it, it was kind of, I call it my Napster moment. It's like, I should just put my music yeah. in free. Nobody should pay me for it. No, 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 no. I disagree with that. As I was speaking and I started coaching other CEOs, I'd been doing it kind of on the side to help out. And I started getting really good at it. I took, I worked with a group of of startups and I got four of the six of them through coaching and technique and and inspiration and perspiration and kind of holding their asses massively accountable. They all got to over a million dollars in revenue. Now, statistically, only 4.3% of all companies in America get over a million dollars in revenue. And I was able to take six of them and get them there. They did the work. I was, it was their hero's journey, but I guided them. And I, I was part of that walking through the weeds with them. And then I go back and talk to my peer group and I tell them the stories. They're like, why are you recruiting and you hate it and you're miserable doing it and it's costing you a fortune some days when you could do this? 
said, wait, how about the story I would tell myself, my, my imposter syndrome. I'm no expert. And I've had all these slings and arrows. I've made all these mistakes. It's from those mistakes the book came from. It's from those mistakes mm-hmm. that people hire me. It's from those mistakes that I, you know, when COVID hit, I lost six stages in three countries over a two-week period that canceled through no fault of anyone. I pivoted into a model where I started volunteering my time. I spoke with 42 CEOs in 67 days who were up in chaos and crisis and helped some of them find money, helped some of them stay in business, helped some of them decide to close the business they were in and pivot into a business they really wanted to get into. But I showed yeah. up for them. And, and that was super rewarding for me to, to make those multiple pivots to the course of my career. That's awesome. Yeah, you essentially just kept going at the E4 process with your baseball bat and crushing it. <laughs> yes, the, well, it, it is. I mean, the E4 process is, is a really simple process. It's four steps, you know, identify the mindsets that are not working for me. I always take it back to when I was, you know, you know, I was $600,000 in debt. I didn't want to yep. be there. That wasn't working for me really well. My kid and I were going to be homeless. Um, so it's not working for me. So let's create an Set a new intention. Let's create an intention, not an expectation. So my intention is I want to get out of debt. I didn't put a deadline to it. I didn't say I want to get out of debt in two years. Now, the bank was calling the note. They wanted me out of debt now, which is, wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. and, and so I had this intention of getting out of debt, but I had no expectation on how I was going to do it. So then I created a plan against that intention. So we're going to try a bunch of different things. So in September of 2006, talk about it in the book, I fired my entire company and I started over. Um, got rid of all the people I had hired who had HR backgrounds or recruiting backgrounds. I started hiring people for their DNA, not for their resume. And I started, we started trying different things. So we created, you know, again, I, and I told them all the story in the interview. You imagine going to an interview with a guy. It's like, I said, well, why should I work here? I said, well, I'm not really sure you should. We're about $600,000 in debt. And here's our intention where our intention is to get <laughs> out of debt, but here you have a great opportunity to, to try a bunch of different things. So it was kind of like, I want to invite the crazy people to come work for me. And I did. Yeah. Like Becky was with me for 16, 17 years and we created all these action plans and we, we started pushing out messaging. We started iterating and over eight years, we finally get out of debt, pay off all of our notes, pay off the bank, pay off all the vendors. And we make the Inc 5,000 as one of the fastest growing companies in America six times. Like, and the big, the, the big thing is you got help. You got help from your brother oh God, Greg absolutely. as well. Yeah. So I hired a coach. Absolutely. And, and he kept, you know, you know, what are the five positive things you're going to do every day? Cause I was so depressed. I couldn't get out of bed. So get your butt out of bed, go to work, go to the gym, spike the dopamine, and go to work. <laughs> if, I, if I just do those three things, I'm like halfway done with my day. And it's like 9am and we started right. through those things. And so once we pivoted out of there, we, I, I was able to then really take a, take a step back and see that this E4 process can work with anything. You know, you know, so and again, I talk about it in the book. What wasn't working? My son, this is when I just met you. Uh, my, my son and I hadn't spoken for three years. That wow. wasn't working for me. And I hired Danny Friedland. So I think my brother, Greg, was my first coach. My second coach, who's still my coach, is Dr. Danny Friedland. He's a neuroscientist out of San Diego. And mm-hmm. he really helps me understand why I do some of the crazy things I do and how to stop doing them. And so I see him at Titans. I hire him from there. And he says to me, what do you want? I said, well, I want to grow my business. And I think I want to go into this coaching space. And uh, I just completed my first book. I think I want to write a second book. He's like, no, 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 no. That's easy. What's the biggest pain in your life? And how do you want, what do you, how do you, can you fix it? I said, my kid won't talk to me. And I don't know what to do. He got excited. Mm-hmm. He goes, I can help you with that. So what do I do? I get out a pen, a piece of paper, write down my kid's phone number. Here, give him a call. Whatever costs, 
just bill me. He starts laughing at me. He's like, it doesn't work that way. We got to change the inside of you. You'll show up differently. That will land and resonate with him. And he'll, you will find a way out of the woods. I don't know how intention, not expectation will get you out of the woods. You'll show up, you'll show up differently and you will fix your exterior world by changing the working with your interior demons. And that's exactly so we did. So flash forward to gosh, what was it? 2017 Tyler and I on top of Machu Picchu celebrating his college graduation. He's moved back from California. He lives 10 minutes from my house now. If you would have asked yeah. me when I did back in 2015, if that was going to happen, <laughs> I, I, I would have said there's a better chance of Taylor Swift showing up at Titans <laughs> for free than that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the world works in mysterious ways. I think we all learn that as we get older. You mentioned earlier about Napster and uh, your book um, and all of the references that you make to other books reminded me of this short book that I recently read that's kind of a big buzz book in the e-commerce world right now. It's called Who Moved My Cheese. Have you ever heard of it? Oh yeah, I've read it. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, we're all going through that right now. So it's like even more popular than ever because of COVID. And in the Napster world, especially all us musicians were kind of like, Hey, we were, we, we had this expectation or, or um, we just kind of expected that we were always going to be getting paid from CD sales. Like, yeah, sure. you can't, you can't just take that away. I'm going to be angry about it. Um, so, I mean, I still get that vibe all the time. Anytime there's a new social media platform release or an algorithms changed, I just made a song about how algorithm is my least favorite word as, as a TikTok video to try and, you know, just stay, stay cool with the kids, but also, uh, show them how much I hate this new way. Uh, yeah, obviously like we have to adapt and, and move in, in the new ways of technology. And, and you could also consider, uh, this pandemic being, a, a new form a bunch of new forms of technology are coming out and a lot of it, I feel like there's this crazy parallel with the evolution of humanity and technology that comes with the ATV authenticity, transparency, vulnerability in the business world and in your personal life that is bringing us uh, closer to people as much as sometimes I feel like I'm getting pushed away from the way that the world is working. Um, like I had this awesome job in a warehouse where I was literally sharing a rehearsal room with my favorite band in the world, angels and airwaves. And I thought, Oh my God, this is going to turn into something like I need to keep working this, terrible customer service warehouse job that I can't stand going to every day, but I'm going to give it my all because of what I'm getting out of it. And because of COVID and because of the way the world sometimes works, that just all got taken away from me. And, you know, they're afraid of me coming back because I was also doing AV gigs in Dallas. And like, I totally understand how that opportunity fell through. Um, but also it opened the door to a new opportunity that I'm, I'm out here seeking now again in San Diego, but I had to go home for seven months. I was locked out of this country and that was really tough for me, but it started this podcast, which, you know, hopefully helps other people. And I don't know, I guess I'm going in circles now, but the parallel is that like the, for example, to be authentic with your company, you need to show them the numbers. Well, it's hard to do that without 
Google Docs. But for instance, when I went on tour with Mainsail and I booked all this tour, I wanted them to know like, look, this is how we're getting paid. This is how much we made each night from merch. This is how much we got paid from the promoter. This is how many people we brought. We're going to be able to show this to promoters the next time we come back to this city. Um, and also you guys can open your phone, click on the link in the group chat and you'll be able to see that spreadsheet. And that uh, really helped the overall efforts on the tour because now everyone was like how's our merch look tonight like now there was kind of this uh i mean not everybody was on at all times of every day it's never works that way on tour especially but it just kind of created a new work ethic and a team atmosphere that i had failed to build for eight years of touring with new members all the time that were just like, you know, just sitting in the van waiting for their half hour to play. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it takes, it it takes a certain amount of um, vulnerability to, to open up the books, to show the numbers, especially if the numbers don't look good. That certainly can be people say, I'm going to dishearten people. What I've found, especially during the COVID times is the leaders who stand up and talk about what they know, here are our numbers and say, say, say the numbers aren't, aren't pretty. These are, these are some ugly numbers. Here's what I think we can do to, to improve it. But before I give you what I want, I, as a leader, I'm going to speak last. I want to hear what everybody else has to say. It starts festering in, in receiving ideas from others. That's huge because it's so important to have a, in a psychologically safe work environment for people to be seen and for people to be heard. Then you take the millennial thought process and what they've grown up with is how they can be, they can have a, a, a voice at the table. They can have the ability to, mm-hmm to be uh, impactful. They they understand a lot of them that like, Hey, I'm not going to get a manager's job just out of school or, you know, my first job. Right. But especially if you know, you've got a band, you guys are like a gang. You get, you, you gotta, you gotta work together. Nothing's worse than an audience as an audience member watching a bunch of people up there who play music who don't like each other. And I'll go see my crew this summer. Hopefully I know they don't like each other. (laughs) <laughs> I know that um, I'll enjoy some moments. I know Vince Neil will sing one of every three words because that's just how he does it. doesn't make it a great experience for me, but I'm really excited to see Def Leppard and Joan Jett who, who are going to be there as well. Uh, I, I certainly enjoy Motley Crue's music and I'll sit through the experience, but I, I also know what I'm getting. But if it, when I see, like I've been seeing some young bands in Detroit and these guys are like, like on fire. They're at the merch table. They're working hard. One of my favorite bands that I really enjoy is a band called joyous wolf. And they, they, they sound a little bit like Led Zeppelin, but the, the, they, every time I've seen them, they're like all out, like they are full. Yeah. And then I see, you know, I became friends with the lead singer. His name is Nick Reese. And I, I see they got, a, they got a deal. They got a record deal. And then they're doing videos and then they're going on tour. They're going on bigger tours and they're playing with deep purple and they're going overseas and I'm watching them and I'm, and I just see that like, they really care about what they do. They really work together as a collective. Now that can't maybe, sure. like, but it's, it's interesting to see that. Yeah. And, uh, I guess for some reason that started making me think of positive thinking versus fear, which I love that you brought that up. You weren't just one of those self-help books that talks about how you need to make a plan and stick to it. No, your, your book is about how, yeah, you need to plan to actually get to work, but you have to also be open to pivoting and have a positive mindset to do so, but not so positive and not so optimistic that you get this lazy lull and thinking that, oh, if, if I, if I, uh, now that I got my degree, 
um, I'm going to get a great job. So I don't even need to like work that hard to find a great job. A lot of people do get that. And I've seen it. A lot of people get, you know, pay a lot of money to get great degrees and they're really smart, but they don't, they didn't get that outside world experience to realize I got to get up and grind and I got to pivot. Whereas the people who have been really great and really successful, maybe they didn't even get the education made me think of, uh, you had a quote from Michael Jordan. I mean, that guy had a fear every day of not making that team like he did in high school. Right. Um, and, and every time I see, uh, you mentioned uh, back to um, some of our favorite artists, Travis Barker, probably the most inspirational artist in my mind. Every time I see him practice or play, I think he is so concerned that he doesn't want to have a bad night. He doesn't want to slip up. He doesn't want to make mistakes. I've never seen the guy make a mistake. And it's because he spends so much time practicing. He has a daily fear that right. he will he will have a bad night. And, you know, same with Kobe Bryant. He was up at 3 a.m. shooting hoops so that he wouldn't make those mistakes. So um, that made me kind of embrace that fear that I have in that every day I set up this huge production because I worry that. I'm not enough. I, I have that imposter syndrome all the time. And that's why I have all these lights. And mm -hmm. that's why I spend so much time editing video for my, for my one man band is I want to make jaws drop every night. And if I don't, I'm driving to the next show thinking, man, what do I need to improve on? What do I need to change? Like that, that thought process is always going in my mind, which I mean, not to toot my own horn, but that's probably the reason why everybody says your show is so amazing. And it keeps coming up on this podcast. Like I kind of become the guest on a lot of these episodes because people <laughs> are talking, talking. Are, are, are picking my brain on how I got to this level of content creation. Well, and you know, I, it's, it circles back. You're never satisfied. You're never yeah. satisfied. And, and as an entrepreneur, the worst thing you can do is become satisfied because someone will pipe, someone will bypass you, whether you're, you're a one man band, whether you're Jordan, whether you're Kobe Bryant, whether you're Travis Barker, I mean, watch Travis Park Barker, you watch Taylor Hawkins of the Foo Fighters. These guys work hard. They're not just, mm -hmm. they're not just, you know, playing the drums to get through the set. I mean, they're, they're really exerting themselves and people pick up on that. And that's, you know, when you, when you talk about, a positive mindset versus a fear-based mindset. You know, the reality is if we, it, it, whether we're, we're leading a, a company, whether we're a startup company, whether, you know, it's someone like you, part of the, the what I've learned, and I, and I credit my coach, Dr. Danny, for this, is, is it happening to me or is it happening for me? Hmm. And, you know, when I lost my stages, I had a couple of days I was pretty down. Since yeah. then, you know, I, I decided to volunteer and I doubled down on, on why I do what I do. I worked with Simon Sinek a dozen years ago. It took me two years to figure out two words. I want to improve lives. Well, I can't improve lives from stage. I can't go in front of a room of 300 entrepreneurs and tell stories mm -hmm. and, and, and do problem solving. Well, where else can I improve lives? I've talked to some high schools for free. I have bought into the, the 42 CEOs in 67 days model. I, I, I worked with the uh, couple Titans, Nigel Bennett and Andy Biting. We did a three CEOs virtual world tour telling tales from the edge at EO chapters and YPO chapters as far away as Malaysia. I mean, the fact that I got to speak in Malaysia is kind of kind of bizarre to me. It's kind of hard to believe mm -hmm. that from Detroit, I'm speaking in Malaysia. But I really doubled yeah. down on that because I decided for me, 
that COVID happened for me, not to me. Yeah, yeah. I pivoted off of, you know, going back to a great book that I recommend anybody who's an entrepreneur, anybody who's in business, check out first and foremost above any book, including mine, is Good to Great from Jim Collins. I mean, there he interviews Admiral James Stockdale about the Stockdale Paradox. And the Stockdale Paradox, at its essence, is the brutal reality is COVID happened for me. I have, I have a never ending, I'm never a wavering faith that somehow, some way, I will get through this and this will be the defining moment of my life. So if you're Stockdale, you're in a POW camp for eight years and you're being tortured on a frequent basis to be able to take yeah. your mind, control your reactions to things, control how you process this, to be a leader within a prison camp, it's pretty easy for, for me as, to work with my clients and help them see that things are happening for them and not to them. And you know, I, I, I close up, I, my book really has been an interesting journey because while writing it during COVID, I dropped in a lot of COVID stories. Yeah. I'm wrapping the book up and my coach calls me on November 15th of 2020 shares with me that he has stage four brain cancer and he's very positive about it. I'm thinking, I said to him, I said, you don't have to give me this, this positive mindset stuff. I mean, you're, you're, he's literally a medical doctor. He's a neurosurgeon. He knows when he was told he has stage four brain cancer, he knows his runway of life has been condensed significantly. I said, how did you, I have two questions for you. How did you react when you heard the news? And how are you so positive right now? Because when I react, when I got the news, I was devastated. Mm -hmm. I was in pain. My family was in pain. And then we had a family meeting mm -hmm. and we've decided as a family, that cancer is happening for us, not to us. And I just stopped. I said, yeah, like, like your gasp is exactly, I'm like, you're kidding. He's like, no, here's what we're doing. He goes, I am going to continue to work harder than ever. And I'm going to continue to leave my legacy through coaches like you and other CEOs that I work with. And he works with the guys from Conscious Capitalism and Whole Foods. I mean, he worked with some really big companies. And oh, by the way, he works with me. And he goes, I'm going to create a YouTube channel. And on that YouTube channel, I'm going to chronicle every day of the rest of my life on video. Wow. And on those videos, my kids are going to participate. And they're going to talk about what they're going through as the, in the process of losing their dad. My wife's going to come on there. And we're going to teach people what it's like to potentially die. And we're going to talk about, and he goes, this is going to be, he calls it his Netflix show. Because this is my final, <laughs> this is my final raw. This is my Netflix show. And I'm going to teach people that how we can process the rest of our life and make it the best of our life. I was blown away, Mike. I could not, I mean, he's already an amazing guy. I, clearly I, I'm a big fan. He opens and closes my book and I reference him multiple times in there. But to think that, that he can teach myself or people in your audience that how to take the possibly what most people consider the worst news ever and make it the defining moment of your life and make it the best experience for the rest of your time is a lesson that, you know, I think we can all learn from. There's so many lessons in that. Like there's something that comes to mind is if you can document it like we're doing right now, then it lives on forever. Right. And, like the technology we have now, we're able to document it in such a high definition that yeah. it's, it's awesome. Like they're going to look back on that and be like, this is like better than if we were to, I don't want to say it's better than to keep having our dad, but it's like, now we have all these memories to look back on and relive. It kind of reminds me of like 50 first dates where it's like, they get that video to watch every day and fall in love all over again. Right. Um, can, you, can you imagine, you know, his, his son, Zach and Dylan, when they have kids and they, they yeah. kid, the great grandkids are saying, what was grandpa like here? Let's, let's take a look mm. at it. 
and, and Danny is such a, what I would call, I would call him a heart centered leader. Every time he speaks, he talks about love. He talks about peace. He talks about caring for your fellow person. And he talks about as leaders, the obligation and the responsibility we have within our businesses, yeah. within, within our families to, to, to leave a legacy that can go beyond us. And, and you know, you know, I'm sure people here in the show is like, well, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy for that guy. You know, he's been in the like 5,000, six times. He's made money, blah, blah, blah. The joy I get from coaching my clients isn't from the check they send me or the, the deposit they make into my account. The joy I get is the stories they tell me about how they show up differently within their companies and in their families and how they've made pivots within their lives and how they have much more abundance from a, from a love and caring perspective as well as a business perspective. And it's yeah. not either or, it's and both. And it's never work-life balance. It's always work-life integration. And if you show up and you perform differently as a leader, you perform differently as an entrepreneur, you know, most entrepreneurs, if they, if you really peel it back, got into entrepreneurship because they have an emptiness within. They want to tell their story through entrepreneurship, just like you want to tell your story through music. And, And they find that, you know, they, they party too much. It's like a rock star. You know, entrepreneurs can party with the best of them. They, they, mm-hmm. they do all these different things from the external. They never work on the internal. But when we figured out inside out leadership is the way to go, and we show up differently. We impact our communities differently. And it's in those differences and those little, those lives we impact. It, it just, you know, it's amazing. I, I put it in my book. I don't know if I, it's, it's not in the copy I gave to you, but it's, it's in the final copy. So you talked about performing for old people which I I consider myself your oldest, biggest fan next to your parents. Um, I got, I got brought up to just outside of Toronto to speak to what was a mixed audience. I was told it was going to be a bunch of entrepreneurs and CEOs. And I get there. It's a Saturday morning. It's a bunch of people from, from old people to young people, to kids, to their parents. And I'm like, just dying. I'm like, my content isn't for kids. It's not, it's not a, it's not, you know, profane or anything. I'm not going to stand up mm-hmm. and drop the F word every two words, but I'm like, kids aren't going to get this stuff. I'm like, why am I here? Went and talked to, to Jennifer about it. I'm like, I, I don't even want to go do this. <laughs> She's like, well, you're and then the nine-year-old and then the nine-year-old Alec, <laughs> he just blew me away. He, at the end of the speech, he wanted to meet me. Then you get that when people want to come up to you after the show and just talk to you and tell you the experience they had in your presence. And yeah, you know, yeah. I'm like, buddy, I'm happy to talk to you. He's like, you, Mr. Todd, you've changed my life. Like this kid's nine. And he goes, and he showed me this picture of drawing the fail forward model I was teaching that day. He goes, he goes, I'm never going to fail 13 times or 12 times or however many times I said the word. He goes, so literally I'm never going to fail for the rest of my life. And he walks away. <laughs> I said, buddy, let me take your picture. <laughs> Someday I'm going to write to finish this book. It, but his mom, you should have seen his mom, Mike. She was just in tears. She's like, he didn't want to come. We had to drag him here. She was, oh. something was just telling me I had to get him here. I didn't even know which speaker he was going to resonate with. And the fact that you've made such an impact on my son in a 30 minute speech, she was, thank you so much. I have no idea how far you drove or how far you flew to be here, but you, you, you've, you've impacted my family forever. I mean, you, whatever my fee was, I, I would have happily given it back just for that moment. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's the, the impact, you know, it's like, you know, I, I, you know, if, if you and I have been friends for years, it's like, I remember sending you a text message, dude, I'm having a, I'm having a really tough day and I'm just listening to gray. Dude, I, I know you didn't mean it for, for a, you know, 47 year old entrepreneur for it to land with, but dude, you know, I get it. It's, it's a grind, but you know what? If you don't get up and do the grind, 
and you don't get up and put in those little steps, then you, you, for me, I'm going to miss out on those little Alec moments or the moments where my clients text me at three in the morning, dude, I've been up all night. It finally landed with me, what you're trying to get me to understand. I've made three pivots in my business and, and I'm finally going to be able to go to sleep. Thank you so much for being there for me while I'm sleeping. It's those moments. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, I mean, that those texts I get all the time from my few fans, you know, relatively <laughs> speaking. And they they mean the world to me. They they make it so worth it to drive across the country and play these shows. And the people that I've brought out on tour, some of my family friends that I grew up with, even um, when they go out and see it, they're like calling my dad, saying like, "This is why he's doing it. This is why he's not working for your company anymore. You got to see what, how the people are react. The few people are reacting to right. his performance." And uh, I want to touch on what you said about the kid too, because I have played a lot of shows where there is obviously some of the audience just doesn't care. They don't even think to try to care. Um, but then there'll be like a little kid there. Like even at a house show I played once, uh, everyone was kind of distracted and doing their own thing. But these two kids were right front row dancing, having a great time. Like I was the favorite act that night for them. Maybe because of the light show, maybe because <laughs> they just, maybe they subconsciously get that 10,000 hours, but they appreciate the, they appreciate a good performance. I think often more than uh, an adult, no matter what the content is, they're going to, they're going to love seeing someone up there doing what they love. They just, that's kid instinct. They're, yeah. they're well, it, drawn to it. It lands with them. And, and, and the crazy thing is like, I've given up. So I've given up. So I have, when I speak, I still get the opportunity to do it. You know, I have a format, which I'm going to talk about. And I have, I have a topic. So I'm going to move between, but I used to get really, I'd have sleepless nights because I want to remember every single thing I got to say. And, and I would yeah. almost talk to myself and that's that rapid fire thought process. <laughs> And what I've learned is I got to show up and I got to play to the room I've got. I think I learned that from, from you, actually. You know, I play to the room I've got, not the room I want. Um, and you don't know who's in the crowd and you don't know who you can impact. So yeah. I was telling you the story about um, doing the three CEOs thing. So we spoke to a lot of EO chapters around the, around the country, around the globe, actually. And I'm, I'm on one and... Uh, I'm watching the screen and there's a woman in the far right hand corner. And I said something that landed with her because she started tearing up. And I talked about imposter syndrome and how some of the, the frustrations I went through and how, you know, I didn't really want to talk to anybody about it and different things. So she pinged me afterwards and we had a long conversation. And, and since we've had that conversation, I've got an update from her that she's changed her life. And she was an entrepreneur. She's a successful entrepreneur, but she was hiding in, in the world of partying and she stopped partying. She was, I realized that I was covering up my internal pain and suffering, my internal itty bitty shitty committee, my imposter syndrome with drugs and alcohol. And she was, I just want to let you know that nobody had ever seen me and nobody had ever heard me until you and I had that conversation. And here's the changes I've made in my life. So not only is she healthier, she's also happier in her relationships. And her business is on fire even during tough times. And she's Canadian. So you're going to love it even more, right? <laughs> and, yeah. But she, she shared with me so much. Like, she was, you just showed up and, and you were there and you, you, you didn't, no airs of pretenses and, and, and mm -hmm. no, no BS. And, you know, and not, you know I, I'd rather watch her, you know, I, I once saw Lincoln Park. 
I'd rather watch a Rosedale show than Lincoln Park. And I'm sure people are like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. Here's why. When I saw when I saw Lincoln Park, I felt like they were going from song to song like they did on the album. And it sounded just like the album, which told me in my, you know, sixth sense, like, are they really performing live? No, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't want to throw them under the bus, but I, I, uh, I know some sound engineers who know some of their secrets that, as to why someone like you, who you don't really even play music, yeah. but you caught that. And like, it doesn't, like, it doesn't feel right. But so people, yeah, the authenticity. So she's watching me tell these stories and I'm sure you could watch, you know, uh, a Simon Sinek or a David Rendell or, you know, Tony Robbins give a speech. They're going to be a better speaker than me. No doubt about it. Cause they're just better. But I showed up mm-hmm. on the I showed up on the right day for this person to see me tell a story about some of my pain and suffering, some of my dark moments, and how I pivoted out of those using the E four process. And, and she was just like, "That's what I needed." And here's what she said: She was like, "I almost didn't show up, but it popped on my calendar, and I was sitting there doing nothing anyways. I had COVID. I was stuck at home. So boom, I hit it, and there you were, dude. I." I, uh, I, I get that response so many times and it's kind of, uh, kind of created a really dark side of me where I kind of really pressure people to come to my shows. Um, but the times that it does work, I get that response of like, dude, I'm so sorry that I was like, you know, kind of ignoring you earlier or ghosted you in the past, but I'm, I, I see what you were saying. I'm so glad that I came out to this show. Like I've never seen anything like this. I'm getting a little, uh, I'm going a little too far on the conceited path on this episode, but, um, (laughs) I also wanted to touch on the video aspect because, uh, near the end of the book, you talk about how impactful video can be and how helpful it has been. And circling back to your coach, who's been documenting the last few years of his life over a YouTube channel i mean that's like if anything if anything we're learning through covid is how important video is and the entrepreneur who was emailing her staff every day and not really getting a response yeah she she was well here's here's what i this is just my theory about why video works better than just email or text or phone i believe that 85 to 90 percent of communication is done not with just your words. It's your inflection. It's your tonality. You know, you, you've written enough songs. You know, you can sing, you can sing a word a hundred different ways. It's going to land differently with your audience. And mm-hmm. you want know, to, you want to create, you want to create an emotion. You can sing it a certain way. You can deliver it a certain way. You can use your body as a, as a, as a distribution of communication. So can the rest of us it happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. So, as we're going through this process, she was communicating with her team over COVID and she was beating herself up. She's like, I don't have any answers. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know if we're going to get the government money. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So the first thing I tell my leaders is if you don't know, just say it. I don't know, but here's my intention. My intention is yeah. the money. Now you can say that in a flat email. It's going to land like, Oh, that sounds about right. Propaganda, right? Employees. <laughs> so here's the deal in the, in the, but I give her credit because at least she was communicating. Because here's what happens when we don't communicate. In the absence of no communication, your audience, whether it's your employees, whether it's your podcast listeners, whomever, your family and friends, in the absence yeah. of communication, we fill in that gap with the world's worst case scenario. So if I sent you a text message and you don't answer me for three days, oh my gosh, Mike's been in a car accident and he's dead. Um Oh, I pissed him off and he doesn't like me anymore. Or, oh, oh he's too good to talk to me. That we, we, we plug in the world's worst soundtrack. And so I'm talking to her. I said, you know, you're, and her, she is the world's great, one of the greatest heart-centered leaders that I've ever worked with. And I said, talk from the heart. 
go on video, ha- you know, hold it up. It doesn't have to be shot in three. Yeah. There's no, there's no THX sound behind it. And there's no special effects. It goes, just be you and just send it out and let's see what happens. And she did. And she got immediate engagement because people like, Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. People gave yeah. her videos back. Hey, here's what I'm doing. With my kids We're trying to figure out how to do zoom school, all these different things. And she started, but here's what she did the best. She started the video off by saying, I'm thinking of you. You're important to me. I wish we could be together. Someday we will be. Here's what I'm working on. Reach out to me. Not if you need me for, for, for just as your boss, but as a human being, if I can help you with anything and it's within my, my ability to do so, I'm going to do this for you. And it just changed everything within the culture of her company. The culture of your company is so key that people, yep. people have more options, even during COVID times and with higher unemployment, they still have options of where they can work. They want to work for leaders that they feel like care about them. They want it for entrepreneurs who have a, a, a vision, a, a conscious capitalism mindset of, yeah, we may make a lot of money, but we're going to spend a lot of money doing a lot of good things in our community, or we're going to reward our employees. We're going to take care of charities we want to invest in. We're going to grow the business to grow the, the people within our companies. We're going to bring in speakers. We're going to invest in wellness programs. That's what these companies are now doing. And the, created, the craziest thing is from an investor standpoint, they, they 10X the competition versus the person who's like, yeah, I, you know, I had this happen to me the other day. Like, yeah, I want to invest in you as my coach, but you know, I just, yeah, I just, I, I, I can't pull the trigger because I just can't do the expense. We talked about this earlier. It's like, it's an investment. If you see me as an expense as a coach and not as an investment, then I'm really not for you and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, as, at the end of the day, just like with musicians, we're not getting, we can't appeal to everybody. And we have to be who we are. We have to play, coach the way we coach. We have to play the music the way we play it. And that will bring in people who will become our raving fans. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you uh, think you need to find your niche market, which was part of your pivot, or whether you end up resonating with a nine-year-old, uh, as long as you're doing what you love, it's going to be, and being authentic and transparent and vulnerable, it's going to work out. And I think that video helps bring that ATV that you talk about out of uh, people's brands, people's uh, personal lives. If you can video chat with someone that you can't see for a while, it's going to be way better than texting them or even just calling them on the phone. But uh, to touch on your coach again, who's making a YouTube video, like that's going to live on forever and people are going to see that. So someone on the other side of the country is going to see that and be like, wow, this is really cool. Like this is something that I want to watch and this is something I want to follow, even if it's not produced all that well. And, uh, some of my friends who sponsor this podcast, the people at Vocalese, uh, they're making a video on how they're renovating their van. And, and they bought, they bought a 2014 sprinter van and they're going to run their business out of it. Mel and Kate, the call, the van Coulters, I think it's called their last name's Coulter. And, uh, it's just a really interesting, interesting process to see. Like there's so many little things that you wouldn't think need to be done in a van. So it's educational. And, but, but the big part is you're getting their personality and you're getting to see how they work with each other, their sure. husband and wife. And it's just, uh, it's video that's really powerful. And even the, 
last guest that I just released, high quality edibles. They make THC infused edibles, but they have this show on YouTube of how they do it. And the chef is so good. And you, you, at first you just think, oh, it's just a couple stoners making some, uh, some weed edibles. But then like two minutes into their YouTube channel, it's really well produced. But you're also seeing that like this guy, Chef John is an incredible chef and like I want to follow more just to see how good this chef is at the other things that they're going to make on future episodes. Uh, so yeah, like that's, that's a big part of, you know, why I wanted to make this a video podcast, even though it makes it a whole, a whole lot more time, a whole lot more work. Uh, it's worth it to me because it's becoming more and more of a passion. And I definitely get the imposter syndrome from time to time, especially when I'm checking the analytics of how many people are watching these things. But then I got to remind myself like, no, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And when I watch them back, when I edit them, I'm thinking this is valuable to someone for sure. And it's going to live on here forever. So someone might see this in two years and right, be like, right. Hey, did, did you know that that artist that you really like has this podcast? And he's actually like, I don't know he's got a really, a lot of cool guests like Todd Palmer. I don't see that being impossible. Um, as much as sometimes I feel like I'm spending a lot of time creating content that very few people are watching. I mean, I get that when I'm making a, an album as well or booking a tour. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, this is like something that's going to live on forever. When I book that show in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and only 10 people show up, the heartbreaking thing is it's not going to live on forever unless I set up a bunch of cameras and made an epic YouTube uh, production that that would live on forever. But I didn't, I wish I did for every show. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. There's a, one of the greatest blessings for me with COVID is it's given me free time to read. And one of the first mm -hmm. books I read is I read a book called content Inc. And it talks about the race to free. And I think we put it in the book. Um, if not, if, either check out Content Inc. or check out Deb Gabor's book, Branding as Sex. And they talk about the race to free is giving out as much, giving much of your content away for free as possible. Yeah. To build your audience, to build what you do. Because you just don't know where it's going to land. You don't know who it's going to land with. And it's, it's the only thing I can guarantee you this, Mike, is if you don't put on a show or you don't put out your podcast, you're going to get nothing. It's really that simple. I mean, it's just not, exactly. it ain't to be so brazen. Exactly about right. It. I, I, you know, <laughs> you know I, I, again, I, and a nine year old kid taught me that. It's like, hey, if you, <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, you showed up. Thanks so much. I'm like, wow, I didn't think it was going to land with you. And it's, you just never know where things are going to go other than if you don't show up and you don't perform, or you don't put the content out, or you don't write the book, or you don't put the, the album out, then yeah, nothing's going to happen. And that's okay. It, you know, it, it kind of, when I was writing the book, I wanted to reclaim the word extraordinary. I think it's bastardized and I think it's diluted. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think, you know, when you, when you have pop, pop artists and these people saying, oh, it's, oh, everything's awesome. Everything's extraordinary. Well, no, not everything is awesome. Not everything is extraordinary. You know, if you take a look at the word extraordinary and you really distill it down on what extraordinary means, you know, it means that you can create an, in a special environment, a unique environment. So, you right. know, I listen to a Rosedale song. It's extraordinary because you wrote it and it's important to you and it's singular in its nature and it's successful because you, you wrote it, you produced it, you performed all the, the tracks on it, uh, on it, you played all the instruments. That's an individualized experience. If you 
and you define what success means to you. And if you iterate through that and you cope with your imposter syndrome and you learn from some of these things, you're going to lead an extraordinary life, but it just might not be the life you thought it was going to be. Maybe it'll be different. Sure. Maybe it'll show up differently. Maybe it'll land differently. Um, you know, you, you know, I, I told everybody, everybody who's asked like, Hey, wh- who's playing the track on your speaker reel? I said, it's my buddy, Mike from Rosedale. I, I, I called uh, you up and said, Hey, can I, can I put, can I use your track? And I'm happy to pay you. Cause I don't think anybody should work for free. And we cut a deal and your track is on my, on my speaker reel. Um, I certainly could have gone to, a, you know, a clearing house for, for songs and what have you. But I, I, I wanted to, to include your music on there because your music is music I enjoy listening to. And my style is more rock and roll than pop. My style is more in your face versus taking a back seat to things. And so, you know, whenever I've seen you perform, I, I've always liked the fact that you're, you're constantly moving from instrument to instrument to instrument. You're, you're not just half-assing it on stage. You're jumping around, you're engaging your audience. That's a lot of work. And if there's, oh. only, if there's only 30 people in the room, well, crap, you, you, you could just half-ass it, but you don't. So like when you want to lead an extraordinary life, you don't half-ass stuff. You give it your all and what you do because you just never know. But at the end of the day, you got you to gotta live well with yourself. So if you're defining an extraordinary life is going out, pr- performing music you wrote, that you love, that you're proud of, and, and you're playing all the instruments, putting out all that effort, it, it, maybe you haven't, maybe you haven't reached that, that million dollar sales yet. Guarantee you, if you don't, if you do it that way, if you don't do it that way though, you won't reach it. Yeah. I mean, uh, something that gave me the chills in your book was the Colonel Sanders, Colonel Sanders yeah. story of Kentucky fried chicken. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. And it reminds me of, um, Stephen Pressfield, uh, the war of art, because, you know, he never really got his huge success until legend of bagger Vance, which you wouldn't even think a golf book would be the huge hit. Uh, but after failing and failing and failing or learning and learning and learning, he wrote this amazing book that became, um, a, a classic movie. And Colonel Sanders obviously made this after over a thousand restaurants yeah. turning him down. That's insane, it, right? At 65 years old. I was like, damn it. Am I going to be 65 years old when my music finally clicks for people? Um, but hey, you know what? If it does, the journey that this, the 16 years that I've actually been going at it, um, it it's it's fine. Like I'm, I'm definitely not where I pictured I would be when right, I started. Sure. Well, I'm sure, you know, when Colonel Sanders loses his restaurant in Corbin, Kentucky. And he's 65 years old and he has no assets. He's got his car, his social security check and his recipe. And he's driving around trying to sell it. And he's getting yeah. told no. Now, what, what I really appreciate about what he did is he did a couple of things. He, he had this intention of how to make money. He started with some expectations like this is the only way to do it. And eventually, if you've been <laughs> told no a couple hundred times, it's probably not working. Just, just put that out there for anybody. <laughs> so then he starts getting some feedback finally, which is the third step of the process. We're going to get some feedback. And in, the, in there, he realizes that the way he's preparing the chicken is, isn't landing with his audience. And it's while it's Kentucky Fried Chicken, if you really ever work at a KFC, it's actually pressurized. So he gets a pressure cooker and he seals in all the flavoring. And then he Amazing. does this crazy thing. He adds salt. So he, the original <laughs> recipe didn't have salt. So someone goes, listen, dude, your, your recipe needs salt. All of a sudden, he sells it. And within God, a couple of less than three, three to four years, he goes from zero sales to 600 restaurants in his portfolio. 
and he's li- he stops living in his car. I can't imagine, you know, I'm 52. I don't want to go live in my car. Can't imagine being in my 60s living in a car back in those days. That that's insane. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, you, you got to show up, you got to put the effort in it. You got to pivot through those, those times because you're going to get told no a lot. Um, uh, uh, this isn't a story. This it will make this a, a, a Rosedale exclusive here. <laughs> I do acknowledge the book. His name is Joe Bastian and he's an author and he's an author of a series of books called the folk teller series. And they've been published and he's done okay with it, but he still has a full-time gig. He has a full-time job and he's a part-time author. And he follows a Stephen King model of writing. He writes every morning without fail for two hours. And he's been doing this now for 26 years. It just came out last week that he got a TV deal. Wow. His book series, the folk teller series is going to be made into a television show. And he's got like these high powered people. I couldn't tell you, Mike, how many pitch meetings he's gone to in 26 years and how many people he, he got almost there and almost there and almost there and almost there. And, 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 and he, he's the guy who encouraged you. He really pressed me. He and my client, Tom Schwab pressed me like, get your book done. He's, this is going to impact people. I'm like, eh, I, I don't know about that. And oh, he kept saying, dude. So then he gets his book deal. He, I was so thrilled. I sent him a text message. I go, Enjoy your, 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 your thought process of your 26 year overnight success journey. He's, <laughs> he's laughing. He's like, you have no idea how many people think this just fell in my lap. And he goes, I went to meeting after meeting after meeting. And I remember I went to a meeting with him one time. Cause he was like, yeah, this doesn't feel right for me. I need a business guy in the room. Cause I feel like I'm going to get taken advantage of it. And sure enough, he was, and it was a bad deal. But the fact that people think, the, 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 the content he's been creating just fell out of the sky. The music you write is just fell out of the sky. Or, you know, I've been a CEO for 27 years. When people hire me to coach them, I coach them in one hour increments. So that's pretty expensive for an hour. I said, you're not getting an hour. You're getting 30 years, basically, uh, of yeah, uh, yeah. sweat and tears and, you know, pivoting and striving and thriving and surviving and success and failure. All that, get, you get that in an hour. So I got to show up. And to get me to show up, this is what it's going to cost. And, I still envision a day where you're going to be able to do that with your music that you are so passionately put your heart into. Now, you, you, you know, maybe when you are my age, you're not going to be jumping around on stage like you do. And that's okay. I'll still come <laughs> to your shows. It might be an acoustic set, but somebody somewhere is going to hear your stuff. And they may say, Hey, listen, I want to license it. I'm going to write, pay you a, a right, give you a writer's royalty. And then your stuff gets out that you just don't know. But again, I, I, I always admire people like you who, who continue to go forward and they continue to learn through these tough times because that's the magic of, you know, I, I always think of you as an entrepreneur. You happen to be a musician, but you're an entrepreneur in my book. Yeah, that's why I wanted to have you on, um, especially is anytime you say entrepreneur in this book, it can be subbed out for artist and make just as much sense. And uh, I feel like anybody watching this who's an artist or even just the smallest idea of an invention or any sort of business that you might want to start a YouTube channel. I highly encourage them to reach out to you for mentor mentorship, because like we talked about earlier in the episode, and I have a bunch of notes that we didn't even get to about how important mentorship is. Um, I highly encourage them to reach out to you. So it's Todd at extraordinary Pick up this book today. If you're hearing this, the day it came out um, and Obviously, you know, it's going to be online and available. Are you doing hard copies as well, or it's just an ebook? No, no. It, so we're doing the Kindle push, and then that's what you okay. can get for a dollar on the 9th of February. Then we're, within 30 days, the hard copy will come out. 
Um, yeah, we, I, I, I can, I can tell you offline that this has been a, a very, um, this is not an expense. This is an investment for me, but it's been a lot of, a lot of Benjamins behind the investment because I like you, I, I I've seen you perform. I remember one time I offered to help you. Hey, I'm in, I'm here. <laughs> just you and I do. I'm to carry your gear out. Like, no, appreciate it. You're like, I appreciate the offer. Don't touch my stuff. I <laughs> and, I, and I load my stuff a certain way and I unload it a certain way so I can set up a certain way. That's how I got about the book. I'm like, we're not done yet. We're not done yet, which is requiring more money. And then I got 80% done on my own. And I'm like, it's not there yet. It's not there yet. So like you writing a song and say, I need to bring in a producer to help me get to the finish line. So I brought in a, yeah. a writing producer, essentially. She worked for okay. Time Magazine. So I, I could have gone to the local yokel and paid somebody and gotten, you know, the, the, yeah, this, yeah. this little value. I, I said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to hire the best I can find. She worked at time magazine. She used to work. She, she wrote for politicians. She worked on the Olympics. I'm like, her, her wow. stellar and just the nicest human being. Her name is Sarah, Sarah Dunn. And she helped me kind of finish the book out because I needed someone to be the advocate for the reader. I needed someone to tell me, what am I missing? What, what can be better? How can I improve as a writer and how can she, you know, impact this? And, you know, it, it, it really shaped the book because just like back in 2006, when my business was crashing, I realized I was in over my head and I asked for help and I hired my brother, Greg as a coach. Then I hired Danny as my coach when my life was crashing and I needed to pivot things with my son. And I realized the book, while it wasn't crashing, it wasn't getting done and it wasn't up to my level of, just like you, we have high standards, we have this in common. Mm-hmm. And I hired Sarah and her team to, to help me finish the book because I wanted it to be something talk about video living forever. Danny's videos are going to live forever. Some, someone in 200 years can go on there and see about this Friedland guy because they read my book and I reference him a lot and they can go research him and he's going to be easy to find. Um, I just think that when you put out a piece of art and I think writing a book has an artistic form to it, even though it's more of a, a, a business book versus a um, fiction book. Yeah. It lives forever. It's a tombstone of that I was here on this planet. Just like your music is a tombstone that you were here. It's it's all part of that same bandwidth for me. Yeah, I was going to ask that actually. If you had like a ghostwriter or an editor that made this thing just so I don't know if cohesive is the word, but it cohesive just flows. So yeah, so my my brain thinks in bite sized pieces, <laughs> and it thinks you know how do I link it all together? So that's what I hired Sarah to help me do. She helped me craft that out, and then I hired a second person. His name is John, and I said, edit the heck out of this thing, and, and I want you to hand it back to me. You know, it, it's like writing a term paper. I want you to red ink the hell out of this thing and give it back to me so it can be done correctly. And he was so cool about it. He's like, um, I remember. Oh my gosh, I haven't told the story yet. So I'm out on a retreat with six CEOs and my phone rings and it's John. I'm like, excuse me, I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta take this call because it's probably gonna be the worst call of the year. He's gonna tell me my itty bitty shitty committee, my pod, your book sucks. And <laughs> right. Yeah. He goes, Hey, I just wanted to call you. Uh, I'm going to send you my notes in a little while, but I wanted to call you and tell you, I loved your book and I've read hundreds of books over my John's gotta be in his sixties because I've read hundreds. Wow. of books. Goes, I loved your book. I learned these five things. He goes, he goes, I don't want you to think because there's very few edits to the book that I didn't take it seriously. And, you know, mm. there will be some things, but I'm telling you this, this, this book for me was really powerful. And his, his, his space was business books. It wasn't like he just wrote or it just edited it and, and contributed to all different types of books. And that just meant the world to me. Just like when you sent me the text message about how you, you, you see my book is your, your, your new business Bible, your new entrepreneurship Bible. I'm like, yes. Yeah. 
that, that feels so good to hear. It, and certainly I love the external validation. It, it feels great. So when someone comes up to you and asks for an autograph or is appreciative of your music, it feels good to get that external validation. But for me, it was very much like, wow, I did something that matters. I, I did something that's going to have an impact on my friend, Mike, or the stranger, John, or, you know, Alec, nine-year-old boy from, from Toronto to have that impact. It, 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 for me, that's my high. There's nothing that feels better. I definitely agree. And man, I just can't say it enough how impactful this book has been for my life. Not only because I know you, I mean, I've been going down the self-help rabbit hole ever since I decided to change the name from Rosedale to still who knows what and kind of start over and do it the right way. And I've listened to so many audiobooks on how to make it in the new music business and a lot of really helpful books and a lot of really helpful podcasts. So, I mean, back to the technology thing, you can you can seek coaching and mentorship uh, through audiobooks and podcasts. And I always encourage artists to do that. Um, but you could also take it a step further and get one-on-one coaching with someone like yourself. So I definitely want to have some more conversations with you about where I'm going on a business level and an artist level and get some outside perspective, some unbiased opinions. And, uh, I encourage everybody else to do the same thing. And, um, I've really enjoyed this podcast. It's probably, so grateful that you had me on. It really means a lot. Yeah, I, I'm, I can't wait to uh, show this to everybody. I'm going to make a nice, big, warm blanket email to all the GOT people. I think they're going to really enjoy this conversation. And I think everyone's going to be really proud of you. I am. I'm, oh, I, I can't congratulate you enough for this book. It's going to be it's going to touch a lot of people's lives um, like it did mine. So congratulations and Thank you so much for your time, for being on the show and just being such a good friend over the years, man. Mike, thank you. Thank you so much for, for the kind words, the, the kind support you, you've given to me. And, and I certainly thank you for the music that you've enriched my life with. As, as one of your, your older fans, I still, uh, I, I still get a little bit of a, little bit of a, a, a pep in my step. There, there's an old guy phrase, right? Um, <laughs> when I hear your music and I've shared your music with, with several people over the years. And, and I really appreciate not only the, the hard worker you are, but the artist and how much you give to us as your audience. So thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Todd. It, it means the world coming from you and yeah, let's keep on uh, changing lives, man. Keep it up. And thanks again for being on. Thank you, Mike. Todd Palmer, thank you again. I wish I was recording when we first connected the Zoom call and Todd goes, dude, are you in your van? By the way, that little doodaloo sound was my camera overheating on my dash. As always, thank you to Vocalese for making the greatest all natural throat spray. Check out their other all natural musician wellness products and get 15% off your order by using this link beside my head and in the description below. And if you haven't already, now is the time. Go order your copy of Todd's new book, From Suck to Success, for only 99 cents today, February 9th. And if you missed it, I promise you, $10 is a steal for the ROI you will get out of this masterpiece. 
Thanks again for checking out this episode. Please subscribe, click notify, smash the like button, follow, share this with a friend, leave a comment. All that really helps you and others see more content like this. You're a champion, and I'll see you next week for another episode of State of My Art Podcast.